Good stuff. Well, let me add my uh, thanks that uh, you guys are here tonight. And uh, it really is um, just the, the Psalms are a book that, I mean, are, are just so widely read. They're so popular in the church. And, um, and that's a good thing. And uh, as Todd said, there's so much um, emotion. There's so much that we can connect to when we read the Psalms. I mean, as we read them, we can see something of our experience. Even though, you know, in many cases, these uh, poems were written hundreds and thousands of years ago, yet there's something very, uh, that, that we connect with that, that we read the Psalms. And uh, they're so popular. I mean, uh, it's not uh, uncommon for people have the Psalms as part of their daily devotion, um, you know, and, but I, let me encourage you that I think um, the Psalms are, are much more than just kind of something to get your, your heart started. I mean, sometimes we can treat the Psalms like that. Well, this is kind of my warm-up band, you know, till I really get to what's important and meaningful and deep. Let me tell you, the Psalms are meaningful and deep. There, in addition to the emotion, there is much doctrine. There is much we can learn about God. There's much we can learn about ourselves. The Psalms are an amazing book. And I'll tell you, I've, that's, that's been a benefit of mine just as I prepared for this series is how much uh, that's dawned upon me. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm one that could say, okay, well, I'm, I'm starting my devotions. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little groggy. Let me, let me read a couple of Psalms to, to kind of kickstart my, my mind a little bit. <clears throat> That's okay, and I think it's okay that uh, the Psalms uh, can serve us in that way. I don't want to necessarily dissuade you for, for that, but I want to just broaden your expect, uh, expectation. I want to broaden your sense of what, what does God want to communicate to me about himself and, and about uh, us through the Psalms. Um, as Todd mentioned, their poetry uh, and I don't know about you, a lot of guys, I don't know, poetry, it seems a little, little, little fancy for me. I, you know, I don't know, it's a little too rhymey. But, but the Psalms, uh, are, although they're poetry, they're, they're very different. They're, uh, generally, there's no rhyming. I mean, if there is some rhyming, it's probably incidental. Um, there, uh, other aspects of, of what you would expect from a poem aren't necessarily there in Hebrew poetry. Even the meter, you know, that sense of rhythm. You know, a lot of times we hear a poem and it has sort of a rhythm of, of uh, communication. That, well, scholars don't even agree that, that there's that within the Psalms. But there is imagery. And there is um, there's other aspects of poetry that we'll see in the Psalms. So just a couple of other things... Um, we could mention by way of introduction. When we think about Psalms, who wrote the Psalms? Anybody, what's a, what would be a guess, or what, what do you think? David, okay. So David is, uh, I mean, he gets the credit for Psalms generally. People would say, okay, there's 150 Psalms. Wasn't that great that David wrote those? Well, huh? Right, right. David was not, David did have a big place in the authoring of the Psalms. Probably around 73 have, 73 out of 150 have his name or some identifier with him. Interestingly, there's a couple of Psalms identified with David 
that are identified in the New Testament. They're not, as you read them in the Old Testament, it's not obvious, but there's something in the New Testament writers, they knew that these particular uh, psalms were written by David. Uh, some were written by Solomon, the sons of Asaph, the sons of Korah. Um, probably the earliest psalm was written by Moses. Uh, so you might not be aware of that. The, the time frame that the, the psalms were written, and again, we could tend to think, okay, well, they were probably written during the lifetime of David. They were probably written and assembled and collected together over a period of, of close to a thousand years. So it's amazing, uh, and I think as you uh, hear maybe the different guys uh, talking about in the weeks to come, you'll get a sense of the history and even God's stewardship of how his revelation came together in the Psalms. Um, it's amazing the way that, that the books are, are organized and put together, and, and there's just so much that as we study, I think that you're just going to grow in your appreciation and your love of, of the Psalms, but, but more importantly, you'll grow in your love of the Lord. You'll see things about him in the Psalms that I think will just cause your heart to explode afresh with love and praise. And that's what, that's, we're familiar with the Psalms in that regard. It's really, it's the songbook of the church. It's, it's in a lot of ways the prayer book of the church, and that's good. I don't, I don't want to I don't want us to discard those understandings, but there's more. There's much more. So uh, let's dig into this a little bit. Um, as was mentioned, there's um, probably eight categories, and, and people categorize in different ways, but for the purpose of our study, we're going to look at eight categories. And those categories over the course of the four weeks will be, uh, we'll look at uh, psalms that are hymns, Wisdom Psalms, Laments, Psalms of Thanksgiving, Messianic Psalms, Psalms of Confidence, Divine Kingship Psalms, and Royal Psalms. So that's uh, over the course of four weeks. Tonight we're going to look at uh, two categories. We're going to look at hymns, and we're going to look at wisdom psalms. So hopefully, does everybody have an, uh, a handout? Um, good. Let me get one there. Hopefully that will serve you. Um, so let's talk about hymns. When the psalmist wrote, wrote a hymn, generally he was telling everybody, hey, it's all good. Life is good. Things are, are going well with me. Uh, I'm, I'm trouble-free. I'm, I'm celebrating. Life just seems well-ordered, and, and I'm blessed. Uh, the psalms are very much... Uh, kind of a celebration that that everything's good and uh, there's a place for everything and everything's in its place. Um, more than anything, uh, hymns celebrate God, and they celebrate God primarily in two ways. They celebrate God as the Creator, and they celebrate God as the Redeemer. So those are two categories you'll see uh, as you look at hymns. So let's, uh, let's start by talking about creation hymns. So these are hymns that, uh, they're, they're psalms that praise God. He's the one who's responsible for the orderliness we see in nature. 
the earth beneath our feet, the skies above, the, the depths of the seas. God is the one who's ordered all of that. Even the movements of the stars, the psalmist in the hymns attributes all that to God. And that's part of the reason he's, he's uh, celebrating and praising the Lord. The psalmist is giving God credit for the order he sees around him. And in the hymns, the psalmist really recognizes that apart from God's efforts, it's not going to be that way. That order, that, that blessing, that, that wonderful beauty of creation isn't there apart from the work of the Creator. Uh, of God. Uh, you'll see in uh, Psalms very often that disorder, the, o- the opposite of orderliness, is portrayed. It's, you'll see disorder. There's storms. Uh, as was mentioned, kind of the imagery, there's chaos, there's conflict, uh, there's raging seas. But God is the one who calms the storms. God is the one who calms the raging seas. He's celebrated as that. Uh, the chaos can even appear as mythological beasts. You'll hear about Leviathan and sea monsters. Now, we don't believe that uh, in, in sea monsters, but as was mentioned, that that's a, uh, an image that communicates something about creation that the psalmist is addressing. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. But more than anything, we see that that when there's uh, chaos and disorder, it's God who comes in and brings order, calms the seas, uh, tames the terrors, the Leviathan, the sea monsters. God is the creator. So a couple of examples of these uh, hymns that, that celebrate God as creator, I think you have, uh, let's turn to one of those. If you have your Bibles, and keep those handy, because I think I'd really love for us just to kind of... Uh, look through lots of scriptures tonight, but Psalm 104, verses 5 through 9, says, He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. So again, in this hymn, you see the power of God Almighty. You see his role in ordering the world. And again, that's a reason to praise. I mean, we could, we could praise the Lord right now just as we begin to see God for who he is and his power and his majesty. That's part of what, uh, what we see in the hymns. Um, so that's a hymn that celebrates God as creator. So another category is uh, hymns celebrate God as redeemer. God as Redeemer. And a lot of times when we think about Redeemer, we think about the redemption, uh, we can tend to think, you know, rightfully so, about Jesus, about our salvation, about our cleansing uh, from all unrighteousness, and that's good. But, but redemption is a much broader category. God redeemed his people throughout history by, by uh, calling them by name, by making them to be a people, by protecting and providing. So God has revealed himself as redeemer, and the hymns celebrate him for that. Uh, he, he has rescued his people. 
And very often in the hymns, we see the great events in redemption history. You'll see them mentioned time and time again. You'll see the Exodus, where, where the nation of Israel is brought out of slavery and set free from the cruel bondage of Pharaoh. Um, you'll see God giving triumph over triumph over their enemies as they're brought um, out of captivity and into the promised land. Very often, the hymns will celebrate that, the fact that God uh, protected his people as they came into the promised land. So that's an aspect of uh, what we'll see in, um, in a hymn. Let's take a look at, at uh, an example here. Psalm 105 says, He spread out a cloud as a covering, a fire to give light at night. They asked, and he brought them quail. He fed them well with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock, and the water gushed out. It flowed like a river in the desert. So this is, a, this is part of a hymn. This is part of God as Redeemer. He's providing in the midst of the desert. As his people are making their way out of slavery and into the promised land, God is show, showing up as the Redeemer. So just to, to uh, pull this together, hymns are characterized generally by two themes. God is creator and God is Redeemer. So now that we've looked at the themes, let's look a little bit at the structure of hymns. Hymns have a very, a very typical um, structure. And as you see that, as you read uh, a hymn, you'll be very, it's very easy in, uh, to identify the structure, to identify a hymn by the way it's set up. So there are three sections uh, in a hymn. So first of all, there's a call to worship. There's a reason to praise, and there's, the, there's a renewed invitation to worship at the end. So let's start by looking at the call to worship. The call to worship. So um, the, the person who's being called to worship can vary from psalm to psalm. Um, sometimes it's limited to the psalmist himself. The psalmist is writing to his own heart. Look at uh, Psalm 103. If you have your Bibles there, Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2, uh, the psalmist is uh, encouraging himself. He's saying, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I don't know about you, but there are times where I need to do that. I need to be. I need to give my soul a pep talk. I need to. I need to have a cheerleader who's saying, "Get with it! Don't you realize who you serve? Don't you realize how great God is? The the wonders of His creation, the the magnificent redemption He's worked on your behalf. I mean, that's that's what we need. And the Psalms do that for us. Amen. Um, now that call to worship can broaden to include an entire nation. Uh, turn to Psalm 118. Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. So the psalmist has gone beyond just encouraging his own heart. He's saying, look, hey, the nation, the people of Israel, let's go. Let's join our hearts together to praise the Lord for his goodness, for his kindness. 
Look at Psalm 117. So the call to worship that uh, can define a hymn can broaden to include other nations. Psalm 117, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. So, again, we see the circle of the call to worship broadening. It's starting with the psalmist himself. It's going beyond that to the nation of Israel. It, it now is going to include all peoples. It can go in the creation hymns or, or uh, in these psalms all the way to all of creation. Look at Psalm 148, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly host. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. So the psalmist is, I mean, he's going big. He's going global. He's going universal. He wants everything. And we've seen in other places, everything with breath, and even things that maybe they don't have breath. I don't know. Do angels have breath? Do the sun and moons have breath? Maybe not. But, but the psalmist is saying, everybody, everything, let's praise the Lord. So that's the first aspect uh, in the structure of a hymn, is the call to worship. Let's go to the second section that we would see in a hymn, and it's the reason to praise. So it's good. It's good to be called to worship, but the Lord knows we need a reason to praise. We need to know what, why are we excited? Why are we, why are we shouting? I mean, the Psalms, there's, there's shouting, there's clapping, there's, there's noise. I mean, it's going nuts when the psalmists are taken over. They're just worshiping. And I love that. And I, I, I hope and I pray, I just think, Lord, I want that in my own life. I want to be, see more of the psalmist in my own devotion and my own time with with my community group on Sunday morning. I just want this sense of, uh, you know, just praising God. And, and we see that. And we're, we're modeled. We see that modeled in, in uh, the Psalms. So the reason to praise, it's generally the central part of a hymn the reason to praise. It's usually the biggest, the meatiest part. So you've got a call to worship on one side, and you've got kind of a renewed call to worship at the end. Those are kind of the small sections, but the big section generally in a hymn is the psalmist giving us the reason to praise. So we're not just having to be worked up emotionally. It's not some sort of empty, hey, let's Let's get excited. You know, we don't know why. No, in the hymns, we're given every reason to get excited. We're given amazing reasons to, to thrill at who God is and how he's revealed himself to us. Now, uh, not all the time, but, but very often in a hymn, the reason for praise is kind of tipped off for us. You'll see the word for. So there's generally this sense of praise the Lord, for, and then all of a sudden, it's the reason why you should praise the Lord. Let's, let's look at that. A couple of examples, maybe just one example. But Psalm 30. Psalm 30, verses 1 through 5. This is a psalm of David. It gives a reason. Uh, sometimes they give a reason. What is this one? A dedication of the temple of David. Psalm 30. I will exalt you, Lord, 
For you lifted me out of the depths. That's the reason why he's praising. You lifted me up out of the depths. You did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing to the Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. That is so good. What is the reason for praise? He lifted us out of the depths, verse 1. What's the reason to praise the Lord? His anger lasts only a moment but his favor lasts a lifetime. Well, aren't you glad his favor lasts a lifetime, but his anger lasts just a moment? Boy, it'd be bad news if that was the other way around. I mean, and, and very often, I mean, don't we live like it's the opposite way? We can tend to live life as if God, his favor lasts just for a moment, uh, but his anger lasts a lifetime. chances are you can kind of bear the weight of that in your own life. You could say, you know, I, I just have this sense. I, just, I feel like God's angry with me all the time. Yeah, there's been times of favor, but I just I feel weighed down by his anger. The psalmist wants to, to correct our perspective, doesn't he? He wants to remind us. I know how it feels sometimes, but here's, here's the truth of God's word. His Anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Uh, so good. Um, you can look at your own at Psalm 47 um, and Psalm 92, some other examples of the reasons for praise. Let's move on to the third aspect, the first uh, part of the structure of a hymn, it's the renewed invitation for praise. So, you know, in some ways you think, well, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm reading the Psalms, you already told me to praise, but no, the psalmist is, he's reminding us, you know, you need to, let me call you to worship, let me give you the reasons to praise, but then let me remind you again uh, to continue to worship the Lord. So that's the third section. It's generally just the last verse, maybe the last two verses. Um, of a hymn. Here's an example. I believe you have this in your outline. Psalm 47, verses 19 and 20. Just kind of shows you the, the, the ending part of this. He revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and his decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, uh, there's some other. There's another example there. Psalm 104. I'll let you look at that on your own. But just let's. let's you know, I think you all agree with me. So there's a call to. There's a there's a renewed invitation to worship at the end. Amen. So okay. So we've talked a little bit about uh, a hymn. That's one of our categories. So just as a reminder, a hymn generally. Um, every, every life is good. Um, maybe the, uh, sometimes the, the psalmist may have gone through difficulty, but, but it's, in the back, it's in the background. In the foreground of his life, life is good. I'm blessed. I see order in, in the world around me. I see order in my own life. 
Um, so that's, um, that's a hymn. We, we talked about the structure. So let's take a look at an, an example. Let's go ahead and read through this, and um, let's put what we've learned uh, to the test, shall we? So turn, if you will, to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. And I, you know, I, when you're going to teach, I don't know if other guys do this, but I realized, man, I, I picked a very long psalm. You know, there, there's, some, uh, there's some hymns that are like three verses. Why did I not pick one of those? Because I know I'm going to run late, but I just couldn't help myself. I just, my self-control uh, just evaporated when I saw Psalm uh, 118. I hope there's aspects of that that you can connect with. Um, let me encourage you um, to study some of these things on your own. But let's read this together. Um, Psalm 118. And um, let me ask, I, I did not tell him I was going to do this, but let me ask uh, Josh if he would read out loud. Are you willing to do this? Psalm 118. So let's read along. Um, you may have different versions. I don't know. People, how, we probably have, how many NIVs do we have here? We've got some NIVs. How many ESVs? So we've got, we've got a good amount of both, but... These are good. We can read along. But, but let's read along as Josh reads through. It's like, really, Dave? There's 29 verses? I don't know. So, but this is good. And no, this is no pressure at all. Again, I did not ask Josh. But, it, but now we're, this is, we're, reading this, we're reading the Psalms. We're reading a hymn. So I feel released to read this with, with all the passion and the emotion that you see here. So no, again, no pressure. But that's, uh, I want you to feel released to do that. So, okay. Well, let's read along with Josh. Mm. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Louder. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Mm. I shall not die, but I shall live. And recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that I have that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. 
Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he made his light shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Mm, amen. Let's, uh, let's give Josh a hand. That was a great job. Put him on the spot. <clears throat> Excellent. Excellent, excellent. So I started saying uh, in our discussion of the hymns is saying that hymns celebrate God as Redeemer. And that's clearly the focus of this psalm. So life is good for the psalmist. He's in a good place. He's in a safe place. He's secure. There has been difficulty. There has been trouble. There has been danger. But it's in the past. Uh, it's in the background of his life. Again, in the foreground of his life, is blessing. He's, he's dazzled by the love of the Lord, isn't he? So as to the structure of this hymn, it breaks down in the manner that we talked about earlier. So in verses 1 through 4, there's a call to worship and praise. The call goes out to Israel. It goes out to the priests and the leaders. It goes out to all who fear the Lord. So that's the first part. The second part in our structure, which is the reason uh, for worship, it's found in verses 5 through 27. So as I mentioned, the reason to praise, is the, that's the big part. That's, the, that's where the heavy lifting is. That's where uh, the meat of the hymn is. It's the reason uh, to praise. And then um, finally, uh, the reason is tipped off it's, or inter, it's introduced uh, in verse 1. So we see that. Um, let's see if you all see that. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And then the final two verses, we have the concluding call to worship. So in terms of the tone, in terms of the subject matter, in terms of the structure, this psalm fits nicely into the hymn category. Okay? So we know how it fits. We know that it, that it does fit. Let's look at what it means. Let's look at what God is communicating to us about himself and, and uh, to, uh, about his people. So uh, a few things, unlike a lot of psalms, this psalm does not identify the author. Um, what, what is very clear from, from the very beginning is the psalmist's reason for writing. There's this threefold repetition. And I, I know throughout the years, Jerry and others who have taught, anytime you see something repeated again and again and again, there's a reason for that. There's a, that's the way of highlighting and underlining and putting it in bold type. What is it that the, that the psalmist says again and again? He says, um, his love endures forever. He wants Israel to say that. He wants the house of Aaron to say that. He wants all who fear the Lord to say his love endures forever. So that's the reason for his writing. He's gripped by the love of the Lord. So how does he know that God loves him? That's good to know. I mean, it's good to know when someone loves you, but why do you love me? How do, why, does he, why, why does he think, why is he convinced that God loves him? Well, it's uh, expressed starting in, in, if you look at verse 5, um, it's, it's expressed in the fact that the Redeemer, 
God, his Redeemer, has saved him, protected him, and delivered him. Verse 5, it says that he's hard-pressed, but God brought him into a spacious place. Verse 7, he's got enemies, but God is with him. God is his helper. Verses 8 and 9, he needs protection. He needs refuge. He needs uh, God to rescue, and God does provide that. He, he provides refuge that's better than princes, uh, that any human could provide. I mean, look at verse 10, verses 10 through 14, you get the scope of, man, he's got a lot of enemies. He's, he's, he needs to be protected. He needs to be saved. He needs to be helped. He's got, the world is just breaking loose around him in terms of, of enemies. Look at verses 10. It says, all the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut him down. So they, they, they surround him. Verses 12, verse 12, they swarm around him like bees. Um, he was pushed back and about to fall, but God helped him. God is my strength and my defense. He's become my salvation. Now, again, I mentioned this. We don't know exactly who wrote this psalm. It doesn't, doesn't have of David or, or the sons of, of Asaph. But think about this with me a little bit. And, and again, there can be differing opinions on who this is about. But one, one uh, subject or one author could be David himself. When you think about, think about this conflict that's mentioned, this fact that there's enemies swarming around from every place, and you could think about David. David did fight against Philistines and Moabites and Ammonites and Amalekites and Syrians, uh, not to mention at some point being ch- chased by uh, Saul and the armies of Israel. So you could look at this and say, oh, this could be David. It could be the nation of Israel itself, the nation of Israel was always surrounded and swarmed and, and uh, under attack by those around him. So that could be, uh, the psalmist could represent Israel as well. What's kind of interesting is the, the psalm seems to take a little bit of a detour. All of a sudden, we're introduced to this rock, this, this stone. Uh, verse 22, take a look at this with me. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. I just love that word, marvelous. <laughs> it's marvelous in our eyes. Is, well, let's think about this. Now, when we look at this, you could say immediately, oh, psh, I know who that is. Dave, I know. Call on me. It's talking about Jesus. Uh, well, good. That's a good answer. You know, you're making a good connection and probably the most important connection. But chances are, for hundreds and hundreds of years, people did not think about that when they read this part. They see this, you know, and it's good. I think we need to start with a place to say, what did, what did the, the Jews think of when they read this? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. It's marvelous in our eyes. Well, we don't know exactly. Um, there's, there's uh, differing opinions. Some scholars look at this saying and say, well, it feels kind of like a proverb or it has a proverbial feel. Not, not a proverb in the sense like the book of the Bible that, that follows the book of Psalms, but just kind of that, you know, those sayings. Um, uh, I can't even think of an example, but a lot of, a lot of times there's these folk sayings where it's like, um, you know, in one ear and out the other or what what's the other? Like slang. It's just sort of this well-known saying that people just say, early to bed, early to rise. 
Yeah, so some scholars could look at this and say, well, I think there's, huh? Early bird gets the worm. Yeah, some scholars could look at this and say, well, it has a feel like maybe it was a proverb of the time. Uh, this kind of a sense that, you know, what, what was considered worthless initially turns out to be the most important thing of all. Now, we'll talk a little bit about that, but again, some people could say, well, it feels like a, a proverb. Um, others would say, you know what, this, this could be referring to the nation of Israel itself. Think about how the nation of Israel is viewed by the, the countries around them. They're considered worthless, but because, of, because God chose them, because God made them to be a people, God chose them to be his people, they turned out to be the cornerstone uh, of the Lord. So maybe it could be uh, the nation of Israel. Perhaps it's suggested by what we said about the earlier verses about we're thinking about David and thinking, you know, it's talking about attacking and bees and swarming. Maybe it's David. He went through this. Well, we could say that maybe this thing about the stone being rejected could also be about David. Think about um, him when uh, Saul died. We all often think about David as uh, being the king uh, of Israel. Well, he wasn't the king of Israel right away. He was basically initially rejected by all the tribes except for one. Um, there was a, a great time period where, you know, a lot of the tribes said, yeah, you're worthless. You know, we don't care about you. We, we're going to follow this descendant of Saul. So, again, maybe this is uh, thinking about David. Um, regardless of the identity of the stone, we can be assured of one thing, though. The transition of this stone as going from worthless to uh, important or treasured is the work of the Lord. That's who's get, getting the credit for this. It says, the Lord has done this. It's marvelous in our eyes. God has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Um, take a look at verse 26. And um, running a little bit long here, but... Um, This is another very well-known passage out of Psalm 118, verse 26 and verse 27. It says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And again, immediately we go, I know who that is. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of God we bless you. The, The Lord is God. He has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. So um, there's this uh, sense of celebration we're seeing here. It almost, almost feels like a parade, doesn't it? You know, come with a procession, come with the boughs in hand. We're going to go up to the, to the altar. Again, this could have been, been David. could have been uh, maybe the psalm was written uh, to celebrate David's coronation. He was brought in. He was celebrated. Um, one thing I, I want to mention, too, because I'm going to all hit on this in a second, but Psalm uh, 118 was well known to the people of Israel. I mean, just so you know, there, there's a grouping of Psalms, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, that are called the Egyptian Hallel. The Egyptian Hallel. So there's, whatever that is, seven or eight Psalms, Hallel meaning praise. So... 
um, it was very well known to the nation of Israel. Generally, it was associated with celebration. So in particular, when the Passover came, one of the aspects of celebrating the Passover was for them to read or to sing the Egyptian Hallel, Psalms 113 to 118, celebrating God as Redeemer, right? Because during the Passover, they were celebrating God's work of redemption in their lives. So um, it was very well known, um, very common, and well understood by the nation of Israel. So with that in mind, you can, we can begin to think about uh, the places where this psalm is mentioned in the New Testament, right? So we talked a little bit about what did, what did it mean to the nation of Israel? What did people generally think? And now we can begin to say, okay, what about the church? Todd mentioned this. There's a, a sense that early on the, the psalms were so important to the church, and they could begin to see God's work of redemption that he was working through Jesus uh, previewed and, and revealed through the psalms. Um, this psalm was, was quoted at least 11 times in different uh, passages in the New Testament. And uh, the first person that quotes the psalm is Jesus himself. Let's look at Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. Jesus is, is telling a parable. Before this, he's telling a, telling a parable to a group of people. Now, that group of people, it's important to know who that is. It's, it includes the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders of Israel. They're all included in this group. And Jesus starts by telling them a parable. Now, that, that parable is the parable of the, um, uh, the vineyard, I think, if you're looking at there in uh, Luke chapter 20. In the climactic moment of that parable, uh, those that are renting the vineyard kill the son, uh, the, per, uh, the son of the person that owns the vineyard. Then look in verse 17. Jesus looks directly at them and asked, uh, Then what is the meaning of what which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Everyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests look for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew that they, he had spoken this parable against them. Jesus identifies um, the leaders of Israel in that day as the builders. He says, you're the builders who rejected the stone. He identifies himself as the rejected stone that has now become the cornerstone. He links another Old Testament passage that deals with a stone. It's out of Isaiah chapter 8. The, just imagine the, the leaders, how angry. You get a sense of how angry they are because immediately they, they're looking for a way to arrest him. They've heard him use a portion of a cherished hymn a cherished psalm, Psalm 118, that they sing multiple times a year. And most importantly, every year on one of their most important festivals, Passover, he's using that and he's saying, hey, you guys, you're, you're the builders that rejected the stone, the stone that becomes the, the cornerstone. That's me. They were furious. They were, they were very familiar with that 
him. He, they were very familiar with what he was saying. He's, uh, and they were angry. Uh, and they were very upset. Uh, Jesus had taken a cherished hymn and, and really turned it upside down on them. Um, now, uh, there's lots of other places that the, uh, this particular uh, psalm is mentioned in the New Testament. I'm going to have to skip all those because I'm running late. But uh, you've got the, the verses. Let me encourage you to look back at those. It's kind of interesting. You know, Peter, who's the rock or the stone, of all the people, he quotes this thing about the stone more often than anybody. It's amazing. He uses it on his first, you know, he's preaching uh, uh, Acts chapter 4. He talks about it again to the leaders. There's like, what in the world? Again, he's saying, you guys are the, he's talking to the leaders and the, and the priest. He's saying, you guys are the builders that rejected the cornerstone. They're like, oh my gosh. You know, Jesus already hit us with that one. Now, now Peter's doing it. Uh, I'm sure, you know, they were not happy to hear that mentioned again in connection with them. Uh, Peter also mentions it in his epistle, 1 Peter 2, and he connects it with, with two other uh, Old Testament passages that have to do with rocks or stone. You think, okay, Peter, I know, we're, you're, meant, you're, you're called the rock. You know, do you have to only use you know, passages that have rocks or stones in them? But they all reflected back to Jesus, that Jesus was that stone uh, that was rejected. So, I am going to uh, pass over that. I will mention just one thing in passing. Uh, if you get a chance, look at Matthew chapter 26. Uh, it's interesting because at the, the Last Supper, the Last Supper, they're celebrating what? Passover. They're having a Passover lamb, uh, uh, Passover meal. And it says, um, talks about the interaction, what Jesus is saying about himself. And at the end it says, they sang a hymn, and then they went to, the, to pray. They went to the Mount of Olives. Well, chance, it doesn't say, but chances are the last thing that, that Jesus heard uh, at the Last Supper was Psalm 118. Because generally, the, this Hallel Psalm was sung at Passover. The first two Psalms were sung before dinner. They had the Passover meal. And then the final uh, Psalms in that grouping were said at the end of the meal. So just interesting to have that in mind, that that, that may have been ringing in the ears of Jesus as he left uh, the Last Supper and uh, went off to the Mount of Olives. Okay, so I've got six minutes. So I've broken this up. Uh, my planning has worked excellent. So I've got six minutes to do the second half of my, uh, of my teaching tonight. So let's uh, see what we can do. So we, we've talked about, what, what, what is the category we've been talking about? Hymns. hymns. Okay, so we talked about hymns. We're going to talk about category two. It's wisdom psalms. Very different category. Again, they're both in the book of Psalms, but, but very different in a lot of ways. Um, and a lot of times when you think about wisdom literature, you don't immediately go, oh yeah, psalms. Uh, more often than not, if somebody says, hey, tell us a little bit about wisdom literature in the Bible, you, you start with Proverbs, maybe you go to Ecclesiastes, maybe you go to Job, which Jerry preached out of. So those are, the, those are usually the first uh, examples out of the gate. But there's much in the book of Psalms that is considered wisdom literature. 
in terms of, of the character of the communication and in terms of the type of writing. What's interesting, and, and when you think about, you know, very often when you, when you want to get an idea of what a book's about in the Bible, uh, yeah, at the beginning there's some preamble, there's some kind of introduction. When you look at what introduces the entire book of Psalms, 150 Psalms, it, it doesn't really start the way you think about it. Because you think it's going to start with a lot with, with praise and exploding with worship, but it's, it starts with a wisdom psalm, which is just very interesting. I think it gives us a clue, it gives us a preview of the fact that, that wisdom and, and God's plan for us to live a blessed life is revealed throughout the psalms. So again, Psalm 1 and 2 uh, are interesting because there's lots of wisdom literature in that. So wisdom psalms are not really one of the better-known categories, but they're very important. Um, take a look at Psalm 49 if you have your Bibles. This gives you an example. And again, if you just read this without a sense of where it was, you'd probably think, oh, that's from Proverbs, right? For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they named lands after themselves. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like beasts that perish. That sounds like a proverb, but that is a wisdom psalm, Psalm 49. So the language, we're not going to, the, the uh, wisdom psalms don't necessarily have this tidy structure like the, uh, the hymns do, but the language is often the, the first uh, tip-off that it's a, uh, a wisdom psalm. It's, it's direct, it's unvarnished. There's generally strong teaching, strongly worded teaching about how to understand life. Very often there's practical advice about how to deal with circumstances of every kind. You know, that's one of the benefits of, of of our giving ourselves to reading and studying the Psalms. Because I'll tell you, whatever uh, uh, season of life, whatever situation you're going through, whether good or bad, you're up, you're down, you're full of faith, you're doubting, the Psalms has something for you. And um, very practical, very helpful uh, truth. The theme of the wisdom Psalms are generally, they're very stark contrasts. So you've got the way of the righteous contrasted with the way of the wicked. You have uh, the life of sin contrasted with the life of holiness. You've got the fool and, and the wise. So there's generally very strong contrasts in a wisdom psalm. Um, wisdom psalms have two keys, and uh, they, the keys are talking about how to be blessed, how to, how to have a blessed life, how to have a truly happy life. The first key is trusting in the Lord. Look very quickly at that in Psalm 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in, uh, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Uh, and there's other examples. So again, the first key to having a blessed life as communicated in a wisdom psalm, is trusting in the Lord. Um, the second key to a blessed life 
is trusting in God's instruction, trusting in God's word. Um, I've skipped over a few uh, passages here, but look at Psalm 19. This is, again, example of a wisdom psalm. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are, are radiant, giving light to the eyes. So wisdom, ta- wisdom psalms teach us about a blessed life. They teach us that the keys to a blessed life are trusting in the Lord and trusting in the Lord's instruction. So let's take a look uh, in our remaining minutes at an example of a wisdom psalm. Psalm 112, let's turn there. Psalm 112. And let's, uh, who would like to read this? We gave Josh a chance. This is a much shorter. Josh had almost, he had 29. This one's only 10. Who would like to read for us uh, Psalm 112 out loud? All right, John. John, who needs, the, needs no micro, he needs no micro, mic. No, he doesn't. He is, John is a microphone. So, yes, go ahead, John. Good. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his command. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. Good will will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked man will see and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. Mm-hmm. Amen. Let's give John a hand. Good job. Good job. So this is our example of a wisdom psalm. It's Psalm 112. Now, generally, and I, again, I don't know if Peter or one of the guys that will follow me may, may uh, disagree with us later, but I think generally psalms tend to be self-contained uh, in the sense that, you know, they're you know, you don't continue from one psalm to another. There's not a narrative or a story or something that continues. Psalm, you know, hey, here's Psalm 49. This is good. Let me read what happens next in Psalm 50. They're generally self-contained, and uh, although they're grouped together in interesting ways, they're, they're generally um, one chapter or one psalm is self-contained by itself. But um, if you have your Bibles, look at, um, just hold open where you have Psalm 112. This is a very, <clears throat> just, it's interesting to see the, the care and the wisdom uh, of God in putting things together the way they did. But um, now, as you read Psalm 112, uh, how many people immediately recognized that this is, there was an acrostic pattern, that each line of Psalm 112 began with a successive 
letter in the alphabet. How many people immediately recognize that? <laughs> no. Now, there's a reason why. why. Why did nobody recognize that? Okay, why? Right. It was written in Hebrew. One of the, uh, the impacts of translation is we miss that. You look at that and go, Dave, what are you talking about? There's nothing alphabetic about that. But and it, there was no ABCs. They had different, I don't know if somebody knows Hebrew, but the, uh, they had, uh, is it 20? 20 or 22 characters? They had a few fewer. But this is an acrostic. There's an acrostic pattern that takes place. Now, that can immediately sound like, Dave, you're just showing off. You're being an egghead. That doesn't matter at all. And you're right. I am doing that. So I'm, I'm sorry that you recognize that. But, but there's another reason that I'm bringing that up. And it's, again, it's, it's pretty exciting to, to understanding this psalm. There, there is the alphabetic pattern, but the acrostic that concludes in 112 actually begins in 111. Um, this may be a bad analogy, but if you, if you notice the successive alphabetic letters in 112, you would say, oh, it begins with M-N-O-P-Q-R. And if you're looking at that, you would say, well, wait a minute. It, it is concluding something that starts with the ABC in, verse, in uh, Psalm 111. So you might say, well, that's interesting. Those two seem to fit together. Maybe that's why they went together, just uh, there, there's some connection. Maybe, let's look a little bit more at that. What, what else might link these two together? Well, look at the end. L- let me just describe briefly Psalm 111. Now, uh, unlike Psalm 112, which is a wisdom psalm, Psalm 111 is a hymn. It's a different kind of psalm. It's one of the psalms categories that we talked about earlier that are all about uh, celebrating the Lord as Redeemer and Creator Psalm 112 is a wisdom psalm. You think, oh, okay, well, why, why are those two kind of put together? Well, uh, let's look at it and see if we can figure something out. Look at the very end of Psalm 111. It's the 10th verse. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have a good understanding. To him who uh, belongs eternal praise. So the end of Psalm 111 is talking about the fear of the Lord. Let's look at, the, at how Psalm 112 starts. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Now wait a minute. Psalm 111 ends with fear of the Lord. Psalm 112 begins with the fear of the Lord. So there's, there's kind of a, a bridge. There's another connection. So it's interesting. We've got the connection of the, the alphabetic kind of the acrostic. We also have this bridge where one psalm ends talking about the fear of the Lord. The other psalm begins talking about the fear of the Lord. There's more, there are more interesting connections in this. Uh, and we'll, we'll close with a sense of why does this mean anything. Um, look at verse 3 in Psalm 112. It says, uh, wealth and riches are in their house, in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Look at verse 3 in Psalm 111. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. 
So in both of these, there's a talk about righteousness enduring forever. Psalm 111 that's talking about the Lord is talking about his righteousness endures forever. Psalm 112 is talking about the righteous person, the wise person, his righteousness endures forever. Hmm, interesting. Coincidence? Let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 of Psalm 112 says, Even in dark light dawns for the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Let's look at Psalm 4 in Psalm 111. Uh, He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. So we have gracious and compassionate in verse 4 of both verses or both psalms. One psalm is talking about the Lord being gracious and compassionate. The other uh, psalm is talking about the righteous person is gracious and compassionate. Let's look at one more just to kind of end here. Look at verse 5 of Psalm 112. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. Look at verse 5 in Psalm 111. Talking about the Lord. He provides food for those who fear him. So it was talking about generosity or giving. So Psalm 111 that's talking about the Lord, he's generous, he gives. Um, When it talks about the righteous in Psalm 112, they are generous uh, in giving. So let's think about that. So what, what is being communicated here? There's clearly these connections. Um, and I, I believe what is being communicated is that when we look at who God is, when we look at the redemption, the salvation, the, the work that he's done on our behalf to save us and uh, work in our lives, we, we celebrate that, right? That's a starting point. But um, we're called to live out our life. We're called to live out of a sense of what God has done in us. So we have the privilege as God's people of mirroring or reflecting his character. That's really the heart of, of wise living, of righteous living, is uh, seeing who God is and then walking in the good of that as his people, as his covenant people. So it's just, it's just exciting to see that, that um, the character of God is held up and celebrated and then we have the opportunity to live out of that redemption. And uh, that's wise. That's, that's wise living. And um, that's important for us to keep in mind. So um, I think there's a, there's a great quote. I believe I put it at the end. Uh, it's important to realize that, um, you know, although we want to live a righteous life, that it grows, it flows out of God's redemption Look at this quote by A.W. Tozer. God is always previous. God is always there first. And if you have any desire for God and the things of God, it is God himself who put it there. Wisdom, true wisdom as defined by the scriptures, is born out of what God has done, is born out of the fear of the Lord. Remember that? There's that verse that says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. Well, I hope this has been helpful. Uh, uh, let me encourage you. I'm looking forward to uh, the other guys and, and just uh, 
dig in. I mean, it's, uh, it's a wonder of, of that, what God has given us in the Psalms. So let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Psalms. Lord, thank you for a book that is just unashamed. And, uh, and even as it was said earlier, just the emotion, the passion. Lord, thank you that, that you moved on the psalmist. Lord, it's a wonder even to think about psalms that began as prayers and praise directed towards you have now become the word of God to us. Lord, there's a mystery, there's wonder even in that. Lord, we want to walk and grow in that sense of wonder. Lord, help us to benefit from the good, from the grace, from the love that you have demonstrated by giving us these poems that talk so vividly about you and your heart towards us. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.